As a Christian, if you believe the Bible, you do believe that God brings judgment upon people and you and I believe in Jesus because Jesus took the judgment that we deserved. So the message of the cross is that God in His perfections and in His perfect love has to call sin, sin. God could not be perfect if He did not judge unrighteousness as unrighteousness. The Bible wasn't written for your entertainment. It's God's Word, God-inspired writing that informs and teaches you. And so you might not like everything you read, and it's fairly guaranteed that you won't understand everything in there either. Pastor Daniel reminds you today that not agreeing with Scripture or not understanding it doesn't mean it's wrong. The Bible is true. It's from the Lord, and it has stood the test of time. You can trust what you read. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Desert Years Revisited. Let's open up in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3 as we continue our leisurely but quite exhilarating study through the book of Deuteronomy. So we're calling this series Refresh because really what you have is you have Moses at the end of his life and he wants to give a refresher course to this generation who is going to be going into the promised land. You remember that the entire generation of men over the age of 20 who left Egypt... They all died in the wilderness, except for Joshua, Caleb, and Moses is the last one. And so he wants to remind these folks about who God is and what God has done and how it all happened. And it's a good reminder that there's always that need for the older generation to pour down into the younger generation to not keep the collected wisdom that you have from time and experience, but make sure you find those avenues to push the information down to the next generation. It's an important principle, and that's really what discipleship is all about. It's about people who are farther along on the journey being able to share, hey, if I could do it over again, I would do this differently, I'd do that differently, or hey, make sure you learn this. And there's such a need for it. And one of the things that makes me concerned about the way Christianity functions in our generation is that there's a lot of siloing of people based on age and generation. You know, you can go to a church and everybody in there is 60 and over. Or you go to a church and everyone there is 30 and under. You know what I mean? But really, the body of Christ is meant to be a family. It's one of the things that gets me the most excited about Crossroads. Because people come, they're like, wow, there's really every age group here and in the same proportion. I'm like, yeah. To me, that's what makes a church really healthy because we need the perspective of different generations. The problem with a church of younger people is, of course, it's a church of younger people. And you know what the problem with a church of older people is? It's a church of older people. 
You know what I mean? And something happens when you put all the different generations, people in all these different places in life, and you put them all together, there's a sharing of information. You know? And that's such an important part. And if you're here today, you should be saying, if you're older, who am I pouring down into? Who have I gathered around me to share the collected wisdom that the Lord has given me over my time in Christ? Who can I pour that into? And if you're a younger person, you should be saying, man, I got to find me someone who's older to be a mentor, to, to help me understand how things work. You know, and that's an important part of the way God created the people of God. And Moses is exemplifying this. He's reminding the children of Israel, this is what God did. This is the mistakes that we made. This is the way God responded to those mistakes. And this is why we're here now. If you're going to go into the promised land, into this land that God has given you, you need to make sure that you understand this is the will of God. This is the law of God. This is the rules and the regulations, the things that he has given us so that we would live in the land and we would prosper in the land and that God's protection and blessing would be upon our lives. And so we're in this section and really starting next chapter, Deuteronomy chapter four, we kind of stop going over everything again. So we're kind of, we went through the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy begins with giving a refresher course on some of the things that happened in the book of Numbers. And so we pick up now Deuteronomy chapter three in verse one, it says this, then we turned and went up the road to Bashan and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us and all the people to battle at Endrei. And the Lord said to me, do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites who dwelt in Heshbon. So the Lord, our God, also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them, 60 cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many rural towns. And we utterly destroyed them as we did to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were on the side of the Jordan from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidonites called Hermon Sirion, and the Amorites call it Senir, all the cities of the plain, all Gilead, and all Bashan, as far as Salca and Endrei, the cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. Is it not in Rabbath of the people of Ammon? Nine cubits is its length, and four cubits is its width, according to the standard cubit. Now, if you were with us when we studied the book of Numbers, we looked at this battle against the king. His name is Og, who's from Bashan. We looked at that in Numbers chapter 21, and we spent a lot of time there. So we get a refresh once again of what went on. After leaving this battle that we read about in the last chapter with 
King Sihon. Now all of a sudden they run, they take the road to Bashan, and Og, who's the king of Bashan, comes on out against us and all of his people to battle. Now, remember, in these places, it was not God's design for the children of Israel to be battling here, but the kings of these cities are coming out aggressively against the children of Israel, and the children of Israel are meant to fight back, and we see because God is on their side, these kings have no chance. And I think this is an important reminder for us because you and God in a crowd is a majority. And you have to remember that, that even though sometimes the battles that we have to fight, the numbers are stacked against us, when God is on your side, then you are in the majority and you have all the power that you would need in any given situation. And the children of Israel are learning this once again. They had seen it when they were in Egypt, right? It's like Moses talking to Pharaoh, who in Egypt was considered a god. And the true and living God is bringing all of his plans to naught. Now we're seeing it again in this section. I love what it says in verse 2. Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hands. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites who dwelt in Heshbon. That idea of not to fear because God is in control. Now, that's a word for us every day, isn't it? Don't be afraid. See, I think we spend a lot of time fearing people because we're human. And we look at people and we say, this person can do this or do that or this thing could happen or this could happen or this bad thing could happen. We have all these different things that go on in our hearts and in our minds, but then we hear once again, don't fear. Don't fear this king. I've delivered him into your hands. And I think we need to always make sure we move from fear to faith. We need to make sure that we take that step from when you realize you are afraid, then your next thing is, Lord, I am afraid. Help me to trust in you. So in some ways, when you find fear in your heart, and if we're honest, all of us have fear in different ways. We have fears of all sorts of different things. But when you sense fear in your heart, you should take the next step and say, Lord, I'm fearful right now. Help me to trust in you. Lord, why am I afraid when you are God and I know that you will never leave me nor forsake me? See, in some ways, if we could learn to train ourselves to allow fear to be the trigger that moves us to prayer so that faith can happen. God can do amazing things. But for how many of us, and how often does it happen, that something goes on and we're moved with fear, and then we dwell in fear for a while. And then we find that fear starts to give root to unbelief and all sorts of other things that go on. So even maybe write it down, write it on your hand, text it to yourself. When I am afraid, I will pray and I will choose to trust the faithful God. Let your fear move you to faith. You could very easily, for the children of Israel, they've been wandering in the wilderness. They're coming out. We find out this is a king with an organized army. He's got fortified cities. These are wanderers in the wilderness who are just slaves before that. So they have no time to be trained. They don't have fortifications like, hey, every time we come up with a fortified city, this is our plan to get over those walls. None of that exists, but God is with them, and God will deliver them from this king. And so sure enough, it says in verse 3, the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, the king of Bashan, with all of his people, and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. Now, as we've been going through this section in the book of Numbers 
We saw it when we were in the book of Exodus. When we get to the book of Joshua, if the Lord tarries and we ever make it there, you know, we're going to go through this again, that God does bring judgment on nations by other nations using violence. And I think we have, like we, every time it comes up, I deal with it because I realize that some of you weren't here for those studies. And that you read this in the Bible, like I can't believe God would deliver this king and all the women and all the children into the hands of the children of Israel and everyone was killed. And why would God do that? Because sometimes God brings judgment upon a nation. And if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, God told Abraham that he was gonna deliver them into the promised land when the fullness of the iniquity of the Amorites had come to pass. And now, see, God knew all the way at the time of Abraham that there was gonna come a time when he was gonna bring physical judgment upon the Amorites and he was gonna use the descendants of Abraham to do it. And we may not like that reality, but you have to realize as a Christian, if you believe the Bible, you do believe that God brings judgment upon people and you and I believe in Jesus because Jesus took the judgment that we deserved. So the message of the cross is that God in his perfections and in his perfect love has to call sin, sin. God could not be perfect if he did not judge unrighteousness as unrighteousness. Like I always say, people say, oh, I can never believe in a God who would just, you know, cast somebody into hell or or judge somebody. I'm like, look, I don't know how you could believe in a God who wouldn't do that. Because you put it in very simple terms. Imagine there's a person who does heinous crimes, right? And he stands before the judge and the judge is like, I'm a loving judge, you can go free. Is anybody happy with that judge? Like imagine that we just had this tragic shooting. Imagine if that, the person who perpetuated that crime was arrested, right? And he went before the judge. I was like, look, I'm a loving judge, so just go ahead, go free. Have your life back. Is anybody going to be okay with that? No. Because it's completely unjust to let that man go free given the crimes that he has committed. There would be an outcry, an absolute righteous outcry against such an action by somebody who is meant to be the arm of justice in a situation. And how much more the true and living God having to bring judgment upon what is wrong. And it's only by God's sheer grace and long-suffering that he waits as long as he does. I once had someone say to me, like, oh, man, I don't believe in God because, you know, if God was really real, he'd strike me dead right now. I'm like, no, actually, God could strike you dead, but it's only by God's grace that he doesn't because God loves you more than he wants to punish you. So why don't you stop playing chicken with God because you're going to lose that one. So God does bring judgment in the physical world upon people. And we see it all the time, but there's a part of us that because of the way our culture has evolved, we don't think that's a good thing. But I'm here to tell you, a God who will not call something that is evil, evil, is not a perfect God, is not a loving God, and is not a God that you would want to worship. And I realize that for some of us, that may be a challenging teaching, or you're like, man, I got to think about it. And again, I can't unpack the fullness of how God's justice is a part of his perfections and it really proves his love as opposed to undercuts his love but we do have some places we need to go so I'll leave it at that we could talk more about it now it says in verse 4 that they took all these cities at that time 60 cities 
And it goes through all the different names of them. They were fortified cities with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many rural towns. So you have everything from what would be considered contemporary cities, prepared, protected cities, and then rural towns. They took them all. God gave all of them to them, and the children of Israel were able to go on through and take care of it. Now, all the women, children, and men were destroyed, all the livestock and the spoil of the cities they took as booty for themselves. So there was the spoils of war, there was the booty of war, and we just give us that fact. We also find out as we go that Og, the king of Bashan, was one who remained of the remnant of the giants. Now, that's in verse 11, right? And so now we have the Rephaim. So remember, we keep seeing these little parentheses where you get this thing about these people who were really large, the giants. And this, remember I told you when we studied this, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that if you want to have fun, you should do a search on the idea of giants in the Bible or extraordinarily large people. What we learn about Og is that his bed was nine cubits in length. So a cubit was the measurement of the tip of the middle finger to the crook of the elbow. So that would be the approximate of a foot and a half. So the standard cubit, when you see that, it's about a foot and a half. So somebody who had a nine cubit bed, their bed would be about 13 and a half feet long. Now that's like a bed for a center in the NBA plus some. You know what I mean? And so the idea is this dude had an extra large bed. And it was also, was it, they say it was four cubits wide. So he had like a California king on steroids. You know, he had like a California and Nevada king bed. You know, a king bed, something like that. So he, this dude had a big bed because a big dude needs a big bed. Amen? And so but what you find, and again, we talked about the giants a little bit last week, and I get it. It's an interesting note in there. We don't want to overstay what it is or what it isn't, but there is the fact that there were people who were large, just like there are today. There's some people who are really big. There are big people today. We talked about that a little bit. Now, from there in verse 12, we're reminded of the people we call the east siders or those who are living on the east side. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, and this land which we possessed at that time from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites, the rest of Gilead, and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh, all the region of Argob, with all Bashan, was called the land of the giants. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob as far as the border of the Geshurites and the borders of the Geshurites and the Machianites and called Bashan after its own name, Havoth Jair, to this day. Also I gave Gilead to Machir and to the Reubenites and to the Gadites, I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river as the border, as far as the river Jabbok, and the border of the people of Ammon, and the plain also with the Jordan as the border from Chinnereth as far east as the east side of the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. So, Remember, we've seen this already, and we spent a lot of time talking about it in both Numbers 32 and Numbers 34, but what we find is that there's a group of people who end up settling 
on the east side of the Jordan River. God's promised land, the eastern border, was meant to be the Jordan River. But remember, these two and a half tribes, right? Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. They saw this land and they had lots of livestock and they said, this is good land. Can we have it? And there was that whole thing that went on where Moses says, this is not okay because you don't want to go in with your brethren and take the land and you're going to settle over here and you're going to forget God and all these things are going to go on. And they assuaged Moses' fear. And so now we see not only that Moses reminds them that these two and a half tribes are settling on the east side of the Jordan, but we're also getting kind of where they landed. Now, there's a number of place markers here things that you would remember from your Bible. So you find out things like Chinnereth here. That's what you would call the Sea of Galilee. It's also called Chinnereth in different places. And so you have the River Arnon, which you keeps popping up in your Bible. And so what's amazing, if you read your Bible, and if I was doing a more in-depth study, I would take each one of these things and I would say, hey, these are the things that happen in this place. And these are the things that happen in this place. And these are the things that happen in this place. And that's a fun study. If you want to understand things in your Bible deeper, you can see all these different things that happen there. But oftentimes, God returns to specific places to do something specific and unique. Like we find the river Jabuk in there. Who remembers how Jacob ended up with a limp at the river Jabuk? See, these places are referred to again. And so it is interesting here that because of where they're living, the bodies of water end up becoming unique markers, right? So we saw the dead, the salt sea in there, which today we call the Dead Sea, right? It's with the mountains of Pisgah. So all these places pop on up over and over and over again. But we were reminded that these two and a half tribes settled on the east side of the Jordan. Now, remember I made the point when we studied this together, and I think it's always important to be refreshed and reminded of it, and the reason I think it's important to do that is because we're getting redundancy in the word. We're getting a recapitulation, so it would make sense for us to also recapitulate the main themes of this, and that the problem with the decision of the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, is that they liked being just outside of what God had promised them. They were close enough that they were almost there, but they weren't there. And what they didn't realize is if you fast forward into history, that when the children of Israel are being oppressed and challenged by other uh, regimes, that the people on the east side of the Jordan are always the first ones to go. So God's design was to have the Jordan River be a natural barrier for the children of Israel to be protected. And those who landed on the east side, they, although not realizing at the time because they saw the land, they saw it was good for their cattle, actually placed themselves in a vulnerable position that was going to haunt them later. Jesus is There's an important lesson to be learned from today's message. God's plans are always superior to ours. As you heard from Pastor Daniel, the Israelite tribes who chose to settle outside of God's promised land may have thought they were getting the better deal, but they were actually putting themselves and their descendants in danger. But God allowed them to make a choice, as He allows all of us to do. It's your decision whether or not to follow the plan that God places in front of you. 
Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus' Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk about settling. Maybe you've settled in your life. Maybe you're wondering if there's something better. Pastor Daniel will share something important next time. There is. And it's found by seeking Jesus. If you want to grow, read your Bible, pray, and listen, and then do what the Lord tells you to do. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Refresh. Until then, may God bless.